always had the most difficult time stepping on Stevie. I mean, <laughs> I don't care what track it is. Uh, everything from uh, Stevie sounds so good. I, I just hate having to cut in and step on him. But this is talk radio. Sorry, Steve. Um, we got to jump in this hour. Uh, and in this hour, um, this is American Education Week. All week long, it's American Education Week. And whether we're talking about grade school students from low-income families or first-generation black collegiate scholars, we all know too well that our system of education often hampers, if not outright blocks, black students from reaching their full potential. And so in this hour, uh, please be joined by a panel of top-notch educators uh, whose goal is to widen the path for black students to succeed. I am pleased to be joined by Dr. Kimberly White-Smith. Dr. Kimberly White-Smith, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm, if I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I'm delighted to have you in studio <laughs> for this conversation. Uh, uh, Colette Bowers is in. How are you? Wonderful, thank you. It's good to have you in. And on the phone, Dr. Brandon Nicholson. Dr. Nicholson, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for allowing me to join, uh, even by phone. I really appreciate it. No, it's good to have you on the phone, and you sound good. Uh, that's uh, that <laughs> that 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 helps. Uh, and so uh, I look forward to this conversation in this hour. Let me just start um, with a broad question, and this is um, maybe a bit maybe a bit unfair, maybe maybe a bit too broad. But let me start, and we'll we'll narrow our way through the hour. Um, Colette, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, in this particular week. Um, American Education Week, what, what ought we be focusing on? Uh, and that's another way of, of asking you what most disturbs you about the way we do education today that we ought to be wrestling with in this week, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I might give you an answer that's just as broad as the question. That's but fair the enough. The whole system needs to be knocked down and rebuilt. Wow. Our education system, particularly our public school system, was not built for this current world. It was originally built to churn out people for professions. Mm -hmm. And so we're working on a system that's not ready for what we are trying to do with our kids and making them global citizens at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And that's why you see the astronomical rates of failure of this system for our kids of color, in particular our black kids. Yeah. What would you say the purpose is in this contemporary moment, this moment in late modernity? What would you say um, the purpose of education is? What do you think we perceive the purpose of education to be? And I ask that in part because we had a rich conversation with a guest yesterday and we were talking about the ways in which education for so many in this country has become a status symbol. Mm -hmm. And we divide ourselves between the have-gots and the have-nots, those who are worthy, those who are not worthy, based on whether or not we have a certain educational status. So um, it's divisive in a, in, a, in a variety of ways. What, what's your sense of what education is or ought to be about these days? Education has to be about instilling critical thinking skills mm -hmm. and, quite frankly, social skills. Mm -hmm. Because the combination of the two are the only way that we are going to be able to function and move the needle forward as human beings. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going to get, at the end of the day, the two plus two is four. Right. But we need to help our kids understand how to have a foundation of knowledge and how to use that knowledge to get critical thinking skills, to navigate situations, how to interact with folks, how to you know, change situations collaboratively with people. That's what's really imperative about education. One could argue, Kimberly uh, White-Smith, that what we are getting from education these days is the antithesis of what Colette Bauer-Zinn just shares with us. If the goal is uh, critical thinking skills, how does one achieve that if we're teaching to the test? 
I, I don't know that you can do the two at the same time. You tell me. I, I'm not an educator. They're, they're I, I ain't an educator, as you can tell. Yeah. They, they're incompatible. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we cannot deny is that those who get a college education uh, on average, make more than those who do not. Mm-hmm. So regardless of the status symbol, there still is a very tangible benefit from going to college. So it's really about how do we get more of our people through to college. And so thinking about what we know from neurodiversity, mm-hmm. um, we know that many of our black children, their brilliance is not being recognized by the current system, mm-hmm. right? So we can go on and we can say, oh, look at Richard Branson, he's dyslexic. And look at this person, They're dis- they have dysgraphia. And we say that they're brilliant. That is what our children are experiencing right now in schools. And we persist in labeling them with labels that do not allow them to access the gate programs, the gifted and talented, mm-hmm. to be able to go into STEM, right? We mislabel them with labels that used to be socio-emotional disorder, learning disabled. Uh, our children are labeled three times the amount of all other races combined. Mm. And so we separate them from that, and we do not allow. The newest label is trauma. You got trauma, you got trauma, and you got trauma. Therefore, I don't need to teach you. We need to be able to recognize that these labels are really hiding the brilliance of our children, and we need to do more to tap into that. This is going to be good, um, as you can already tell, just getting started. And, and, Brandon, and Brandon ain't said nothing yet. Right. So <laughs> it's going to be rich dialogue for this hour. This is American Education Week, and uh, just getting started in a dialogue about all things education. You're listening, and we're glad about it. The tab is smiling. Unapologetically progressive, progressive. unapologetically blind. You're tapped into Tab is smiling. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. It's American Education Week, and we are having a conversation in this hour about all things uh, education in America. Our guests are... Three, three brilliant scholars in this hour, uh, Kimberly White-Smith, uh, Colette Bowers-Zinn, who we've already heard from. Uh, Brandon Nicholson, I was, I was joking, saying, you and I got to find a third name. I got, I got White-Smith, Bowers-Zinn, <laughs> you're just Nicholson, I'm just Smiley, so I'm going to be Tavis Smiley Smiley or something. Yeah, we need, we need a third name. No, nah, for sure. Yeah, to fit in this conversation. And, and these, these sisters are serious, too. They're, they're not playing around. That, that third name brings some some. some Behind it, 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 so, it, it yeah, must. I'm definitely gonna have to get myself together. Yeah, maybe maybe that's a trick. We gotta get a third <laughs> sure. name to be as smart as they are. Uh, but I, I digress. Exactly I digress on that for now. <laughs> let me let me let me just let me come to you. And um, I want to build on what um, what Kimberly was offering us a moment ago, and that is this way of looking and seeing um, the ways in which black babies are are mislabeled. Um, and I, 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 I'm wrestling with this phrase. I have been for a few minutes now since Kimberly put it out there that black brilliance is not recognized. Um, and I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I'm wrestling with that because it's one thing to say black brilliance is not recognized. It's another thing to say that black brilliance is not appreciated. Uh, and, I, and I'm not sure where, I, where I'm coming down on this because to say you don't recognize it, is that, is that um, a deliberate attempt to not see it? Mm. Um, is it a cultural disconnect and you don't get it? Um, so yeah. I'll, I'll go back. To, I'll go back to Kimberly in a second. But t- tell me how you read her comment. Sure, and I think actually that's a brilliant formulation of the question because there is a, a quite a key distinction there. Um, I think when we look at appreciation and, and recognition, um, I, I think our charge internally, right within our community, 
has to focus first on the recognition um, and, and then externally as we do the work and advocate for our babies and, and with systems and, and even work to transform systems, then I think the appreciation has to come with that recognition, right? The appreciation is what affects the investment of resources and, and opportunities and access. Um, the reason why I would speak to our recognition is not uh, internally within our communities, not to um, pathologize our communities by any stretch so much as actually, uh, you know, on the contrary, create a culture of um, and promote a culture as we pursue education and opportunities by which we can truly just articulate and recognize the brilliance of our young people when they do the things that we may not have elected to do mm-hmm. or when they have interest in the things that may not have previously, uh, you know, piqued our interest. You know, I called it uh, yesterday. I was talking to uh, our group, you know, the, the cut that off uh, uh, dynamic, right? You know, we had a celebration uh, for many of our geniuses. We had actually five celebrations uh, this past fall uh, to celebrate in December. And we had a young man who had built the game, uh, and his father actually got to uh, speak at the celebration about how he saw this young man up at night playing this video game. He told him to cut that off, right? Like the natural you know, instinct a parent might. And it turned out the young man had built the game, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not only was he playing, he was testing it, right? And then he was refining it. Um, he ended up building the outstanding application, outstanding project in his cohort uh, this past summer and won an additional cash prize as a result. And so we were able to joke with his dad, say, look, you tell him to cut that off. You almost blocked the blessing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You almost lost several hundred dollars on that. And, you know, we understand we have to hold accountability as we, uh, you know, parent and support and mentor yep. our young people. And at the same time, we can't be so quick at times um, to you know, uh, write off the things that they love. If they love, you know, uh, entertainment, if they love the law or cooking or sports or things that don't feel conventional, you appreciate extremely well how much money there is, one, in the world period, but two, in these areas that, you know, for example, technology, that innovation, entrepreneurship are allowing them to get to. What's happening is, no matter what, and that's why I appreciate your question so much, our young people, the Nielsen data, right, from every year, they're releasing reports on the African-American and the diaspora communities, and they're revealing every year that black youth lead the world in early adoption technology and content and contribution to social media and willingness to teach others technology, so on and so forth. So we're doing this stuff, and what happens is when we don't recognize internally, it does become appreciated but not monetized, right? Yeah. People then adopt it, take it from us, and then sell it back to us. No, I, I hear that, and I, I'm, I'm still... I ain't gonna lie, I'm still stuck on this, Kimberly. I'm coming back to you now. You you started this mess, so I'm gonna come back to you, let you clean this Don't up. Don't start, and there won't Don't be. Don't start, none. and there won't be none. Exactly. Uh, I'm still struggling with this because <laughs> as I listen to Brandon talk, I'm hearing the voice of another African American male. I obviously am an African American male, mm-hmm. and we all know the data. It's incontrovertible that most of our black boys, uh, to the brilliant example that Brandon just offers, most of these black boys are still taught in schools by white women. Yes. And 90%. I don't ninety percent. So, and I'm not hating on the white women. I'm just asking how it is. To to your point, Kimberly, that black brilliance is not recognized. Is it overlooked? Is it not appreciated? How, put another way, do I expect white women to see the brilliance in black boys? You know, that's an excellent question. And it's something that I've been working through for the 25 plus years I've been in education. Uh, very recently um, in studying neuroscience and neurobiology, mm-hmm. right, and this this onslaught of labeling kids with trauma, we label trauma by using the ACEs test. And so I made a group of white women 
teachers uh, through our Center for Neurodiversity, Dr. Nikki Elliott's work, um, take the ACEs test themselves, and guess what? Almost all of them scored high on the ACEs test. So you have white women who are unfamiliar with our culture, our, our ways of being, the way that we interact, the way that we enjoy being with each other. And you put them in a the classroom with their own trauma, their own baggage that they have, that they haven't worked through. Mm-hmm. And that's the lens in which they see our children, our babies. So if they can't regulate themselves, they're the thermostat that sets the temperature mm-hmm. for the classroom. Mm-hmm. And the same with principals. Principals set the thermostat for the school environment. And if they themselves can cannot put aside the work that they have to go through in order to see what's really going on with Tyrone, what's really going on with Jose. It's not that they're intentionally trying to misbehave, but what is it that we're missing? And it's that neurodiversity piece. We have children who experience ADD, ADHD. We now know that children that experience trauma, their brains are changed by that. Mm -hmm. They experience the world exactly like a neurodiverse learner, but we're not applying the science. That means to me, if I hear you correctly, that means though that to get this right, and there are a lot of things we're trying to get right. I'm back to I'll get back to Colette's point earlier that the whole thing needs to be blown up and start over again. I get that. I I forgot that point. I'll come back to that. <laughs> but um, Kimberly, to your point though, if I'm hearing you correctly, that means that there's a lot of work to be done with these teachers. Yes, that they have to be. Um, was a Socrates who once said that the unexamined life is not worth living, mm-hmm. which means we got to be introspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know that we're in a frame that you can convince teachers that they need to be introspective about their own mess, about their own baggage before they teach black and brown kids. That's what I thought I heard you say. That seems a lot easier said than done, though. It is a lot easier said than yeah. done. Which is why it then becomes really important to arm black families mm-hmm. with the information that they need about what's happening in classrooms. What should they be looking for? What are the developmental milestones of their kids at every grade? Where should they be? How do you talk to your teacher? How do you talk to your administrator when things aren't going as planned? It's really important that we take back our power in our education system mm-hmm. and know what's what and how to advocate for it. I find myself, Colette, um, in these conversations about education, which I do you know, here and there, obviously a critical issue in this country. Um, and I always find myself coming back to this particular point. I don't know why. Well, I do know why because it, it, re- it resonates with me. I've said many times that when George Bush was president, baby Bush, George W. Bush, not a whole lot that George Bush ever said or did that I agreed with. <laughs> um, but this one comment always sticks in my head. Uh, he was talking about education at one point. I didn't like his approach to education either, his Department of Education. I didn't like any of that. But there's one thing my grandmother always say to me, Big Mama said, baby, a broken clock is right twice a day. Mm-hmm. So even George Bush could be right at least twice a day, right? Uh, and at one point he used this phrase that uh, relative to our babies, black and brown babies, that uh, it's, the phrase he used was the soft bigotry of low expectations. That's a cold phrase. It's a cold now, phrase. Now, you know George Bush didn't write it. You know he didn't write it. No. But, but his, his speechwriter wrote it. But it's an amazing phrase. The soft bigotry of low expectations. I raise that for the obvious reason, Colette. Uh, whether or not part of what we're dealing with when it comes to our babies is the soft bigotry of low expectations. And that's why I'm a huge advocate for when the possibility exists for our kids to be in private schools. Mm. There are no low expectations in private schools. Mm-hmm. You are seen. Whether you like it or not, 
And so that's why private school access exists, to help families of color understand that private school is an option and to help them navigate it and to stay with them Mm -hmm. so that they can navigate these systems. Because that's absolutely correct. When you're left left in a system that wasn't designed for you, that doesn't care about you, you're easily lost because they don't expect anything from you. But when you're in a smaller environment with high expectations, high quality teachers, resources, et cetera, you can't hide. And our children will always rise to the expectations, however high they are set. So, Brandon, I was joking earlier about these three names, and I see now there are a couple of things that come with having three names. One is uh, that they're flamethrowers, and they like to pick fights. So (laughs) Colette just picked the fight, so I'm I'm, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to fight back with her. So so let me just just play devil's advocate here. Um, I hear your point about private schools. Let me just give you my thesis on this. Um, I've always had an issue with that. And the reason I've had an issue with it, and I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying because I want want to hear your argument. Uh, My issue is that without regard to the brilliance uh, and the great access that one has and one can get into a private school, for black and brown kids, you all saw the movie, the documentary, Waiting for Superman. Yes. And for many of our kids, it's a freaking, it's, it's a lottery. You gotta, you gotta hope that ball bounces the right way to get a seat in one of these schools. Um, and number two, the majority of our kids will always be relegated, subject to being in a public classroom. That's just that, that's that's not debatable. The majority of them are always going to be in a public classroom. So for me, the question has never been, or is not now, about school choice. But how you make all schools choice. And so I'm, I'm, I ain't mad at the private thing. I'm just saying that most of our kids are always going to be subject to being in a public setting. So what do you do about that? I fully agree with you. Okay. I fully agree with you. And that's why I'm about tear that system down and build it up for not just our kids, but all kids. And really... Our public school systems are so far behind the curve of mm-hmm. what's in the best interest of kids learning, how they should be learning, what they should and be why, learning. And why do you think that is? Why, 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 help me understand your indictment of the public school system as is. Because they don't care who's filling the majority of the seats. Mm-hmm. Kids of color. So they don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not an investment to mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Who cares if the people that we don't particularly care about aren't getting an optimal education. But what we what I will say about private schools and and why there's an argument for those that can should is if you look at the leaders across this country locally in your cities, states, etc., the majority of these people went to private schools. Mm-hmm. So if we are going to fill the seats that make the change moving forward that can then get in the seats and change our public school system so that it's better education for everyone than for the here and now, the way the systems are, we got to make that choice. i tell you one thing that you do not, you, you and I do agree on, Colette, and I, I've said this more than once. Uh, I am always troubled by those persons who run for public office and get elected, including at the level of president, including even the Obama family. And I am mad. I ain't hating on nobody. But they run for office. Um, public office, they get elected, and they choose to put their kids in private school. Mm-hmm. So I hear your point. And again, I ain't, I ain't just, it ain't just the Obamas. I mean, I'm talking, about, I'm, I'm, talking about all, I'm talking about all kind of folk in Washington, senators and congresspersons. So these are people who are elected to serve the public, but they put their kids in a private classroom. Again, do what's best for your kid. I ain't trying to tell nobody how to parent. I'm just saying there's a pattern of that. Correct. Yeah. But let's look at the folks that actually use the public school system to their benefit. Mm -hmm. So while we're struggling to not get our children labeled, Mm -hmm. we know that there are white families that actually pay psychologists to get 
IEPs and to get labeling for their children so that they could access particular supports for their neurodivergent learners. Mm -hmm. The thing that's different between the way that those who have the means to do that and those that don't do is that those kids, because their parents are able to pay the psychologist, they have um, a way to kind of navigate through the public school system Mm -hmm. where they're not mislabeled in a way that provides negative affect towards their child. Their child is brilliant. Their child is dyslexic. Their child has ADHD. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Johnny's going to be all right. But we get a label of social-emotional disorder for Tyrone, Mm -hmm. who actually is dyslexic, but nobody is noticing. Mm -hmm. And then you get put into a system that leads to the school-to-prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. So there are ways to navigate the public school system that benefit those whose skin is not chocolate. Mm. Um, This conversation is getting rich, as I said a moment ago. Um, So much more to cover. This is American Education Week. Uh, We are pleased to be joined by three brilliant scholars um, whose uh, ending aim is to expand, increase, improve the pipeline, the pathway uh, for black kids to uh, succeed in school. When we come forward, I want to talk more about the ways in which uh, this achievement gap is as real as rain, and we end up always on the wrong side, the wrong end of the so-called achievement gap. Our guests in this hour are Kimberly White-Smith, uh, Brandon Nicholson, Colette bauer Zen. I'm Tavis Smiley. Glad to have you tapped in. We'll continue our dialogue about American Education Week when we come forward. This is getting good. good. Yeah, man. Tavis Smiley, Smiley. continues when we come forward. 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 Helping to make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. Thank you, Miles. Tavis Smiley in conversation with uh, Kimberly White-Smith, Brandon Nicholson, and Colette Bauer-Zinn. As we, uh, I was going to say, celebrate, commemorate, dissect, trying to find the right word, American Education Week. (laughs) Maybe some of that and then some. Uh, But um, uh, I'm delighted to have them uh, in, uh, two of them in the studio, at least Kimberly and Colette and Brandon's on the phone as we continue this dialogue again about American Education Week. My phone has blown up. All of our socials are blown up. Everybody's listening and tapping into the conversation. Everybody black got something to say. Imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine that. Uh, Kimberly, this for you, and then I got something for Colette and something for Brandon. Um, Whether in public or private school, a root issue for the poor and children of color is access to neuropsychiatric evaluation, the testing and assessment to identify neurodivergence. Why not increase access and eliminate the stigma? I agree. Um, when we look at all of the people that we identify in our society as brilliant, they were in some way, shape, and form neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. And so eliminating the stigma is something that I'm working on right now. It, it occurs to me, and I, 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 I'm, I should have done this a while ago, uh, I think everybody is with us. i got a really, really smart audience, but I always am concerned that we're on the same page about language. Yes. So let me just ask you now, mm-hmm. 38 minutes into this conversation, to define neurodivergent. Yes, absolutely. So uh, we have uh, children, people who uh, experience the world differently. Mm-hmm. So um, their brain is just wired differently. It's not a disability. It's a difference. And some of those differences are labeled dyslexia, which allows folks to see the world in three dimensions as opposed to two dimensions. We see people who have ADD, ADHD, who can multitask, who can think outside the box. Uh, we have people who are on the autism spectrum. All of those flavors are all a part of what we call neurodiversity or neurodivergent learning. Mm-hmm. Um 
Let me just ask this question. I, I, I've found myself in a variety of conversations about this, uh, Kimberly, and that is whether or not all of these things are new inventions, new creations, because <laughs> we've been black our whole lives, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we weren't, I mean, was I, was I ADHD and didn't know it? Was I ADD? Am I still? Right. Am That's I still? That's what a lot of parents say. Yeah. By those standards, I was ADHD, exactly. and I got through it. And you hear that all the time. Yes. And and I, and I don't mean I don't mean I, I, to to Colette's point. I don't think black folk of a certain age, those who shall we say are chronologically gifted, I don't think they're saying that necessarily <laughs> to be dismissive, but it can come across that way. Absolutely, but we can go back. 20 years, in 2004, the Congress recognized that black children were misdiagnosed or mislabeled or labeled with special education Mm -hmm. uh, labels such as social-emotional disorder, uh, intellectual disability. All of those were mislabelings of what could have been neurodivergent learners. Mm -hmm. And so this has been masked for, for generations. Mm. It's nothing new. It's just that our children are getting labels that put them on a path to the school-to-prison pipeline while other kids are getting the labels that actually provide them with extra supports mm. and helps and being recognized for their difference. Yeah. Brandon, let me Brandon, let me, let me me swing way out here because um, you sort of tiptoed around this early and I want to come right to it uh, directly watching my time here. Um, talk to me about black youth and... Uh, in the education space, navigating a future where AI is at the epicenter of things. Well, I think it goes back just to that previous point, as you mentioned, is uh, wanting to make sure that we support our young people to pursue their passions and to really show out. Um, you know, and the work we do with the Hidden Genius Project, we approach everything from an assets-based frame, particularly when we think about what it means to engage our young people. And honestly, you know, whether it's in private school, public school, what have you, we're working to, you know, empower and inspire these young men uh, to be able to lead in their communities and lean on what energizes them every single day. And so we understand that uh, AI, artificial intelligence as the technology in many forms continues to proliferate. It's got a long, long ways to go. Uh, a lot of times it's benefiting from better PR than actual substance. That having been said, a lot of times we are prone to thinking about our young people as uh, subjects in these uh, moments and not agents, mm-hmm. right? Um, or objects, objects, I should say, not agents, right? And, and our young people have a great deal of agency in this space, again, because of their brilliance, because of how they navigate neurodivergence and all these things. Um, you know, we're in a moment whereby uh, the benefit of an artificial tech, uh, artificial intelligence technology will be determined by really the strength and thoughtfulness and comprehensiveness of the human beings that shape it and then integrate. And so we have a tremendous opportunity to shape uh, young minds uh, to be able to explore how to do this. Uh, This past summer, we were able to pilot our artificial intelligence uh, learning tracks for young people in Oakland and Los Angeles and our cohorts there. And the first week we spent was entirely on ethics and thinking through the implications, the social implications of the technology. So before we're turning on a computer to talk about it, before we're going to write a line of code or anything of that nature, we're just going to talk about how it's showing up in our societies. What are the risks? What are the opportunities? Where do we see it working well? Where do we see the shortcomings? Where do we see potential? And so in that respect, that's honestly not germane 
to any particular segment of our education system. We're in a space that even in the private space doesn't always value our young men as leaders, doesn't always value our young men as uh, great thinkers. Um, but again, the data are showing us that this is what we do. And so what we're trying to reinforce in these moments, especially is AI, because AI can't happen without us. If it's going, you know, we read articles to have us about, you know, uh, was that uh, particular technology, what is it, a moment of sentience, right? They said, is this, is this AI starting to, mm-hmm. you know, demonstrate human uh, proclivities? Is it, how can it be human if it was built by one one hundredth, one thousandth of a percent of the population in terms of the archetype? You just heard Kimberly break down, right, the neurodivergence, mm-hmm. right, and how many different types of ways we show up. So how can it represent human thought in Uganda right now when nobody who built it ever been to know Uganda don't know nothing about it. You see what I'm saying? So there is no, there can never be a gap in that space. We are able to, again, be agents and represent what the totality of that technology can be, for example, and how we can make it apply in meaningful ways. You going to say something? I was going to say very quickly that that AI is is a great example of an issue that black people need to get around, get in, and get on. Uh, AI has the potential to be the great equalizer. You look at schools' reactions to AR, AI, excuse me, and they're switching to now uh, do in-class writings mm-hmm. instead of at-home essays, etc. So, so, so you can't cheat? You can't cheat, yeah, but y'all yeah. weren't concerned all these years when those who had the privilege of having tutors, etc., who were helping, mm. in quotes, with the work you aren't worried about the ability to cheat, but now that AI surfaces and everyone has access to it, people get nervous. We as black people, this is this is a perfect concept. We as black people need to not sit back and be passive on something like AI. Dive in, start to do the work, start to arm our kids with the knowledge necessary to navigate it and take it to the next level so that they are part of the movement rather than playing catch up. You know, what's, 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 what's scary for me about that, though, Colette, is that, and I could do this if we had the time, we don't. Um, every major advancement in civilization, though, somebody says this is the great equalizer for us this is the opportunity for us and it never works out that way it never works out that way and 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 i i hear how ai can be that that's that's one concern the other concern is that it can also be done used to our detriment as well Absolutely. And, I, and i'm not and i'm not always sure where i come down on this it can be a yeah. Great equalizer, Got not it. the, in okay. my opinion, Fair it can enough. be a. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, our organization is working right now on a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion AI component. Mm-hmm. And the thing that is at the forefront of our work is responsibility and proper information and research and data. Because yeah. uh, otherwise, it can go sideways with AI when that is not at the forefront. Colette Bauer Zinn began this conversation about 45 minutes ago saying, we got to blow it up. <laughs> Just, it needs to be blowed up, blow and, up and start all over again. So when we come forward, I'm going to let Colette blow this thing up uh, and tell us how she do it all over again. I'm going to let Kimberly chime in on that and Brandon chiming on that as, as well. It's American Education Week, and for the next few minutes, we're just going to blow the thing up and start all over again. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Continuing our conversation now about American Education Week with uh, this uh, 
round table of brilliant scholars. Uh, Brandon Nicholson is the chief executive officer of Hidden Genius Project. Uh, Kimberly A. White-Smith, Dr. Kimberly A. White-Smith is dean of the School of Leadership and Education Sciences at the University of San Diego. And Colette Bauer-Zinn is the founder and executive director of AXIS, a nonprofit organization that provides uh, support to students and families of color throughout the admissions process for private schools here in the greater L.A. area. We're heard across the nation as a syndicated program, but uh, her work is centered here in, in Los Angeles. All right, Colette, um, to you. You said you want to blow this thing up. So blow it we, up. Kaboom! Let's go. We just blew it up. Now what are we going to do? We're not teaching to tests. Okay. Uh, we are getting rid of the antiquated curriculums that we have. Why are we still teaching people about pilgrims and Indians? Mm. It's time to move on. Mm. Uh, we need to be real about his story, history, and figure out what it is that kids need to know, such as the Tulsa riots. We need to take it out of government hands, our public education system, and allow for local governments to see what's in the best interest of their kids beyond being able to take things out of the classroom. You can't just say cancel black history. It mm -hmm. doesn't work. But what really needs to happen at the foundation is that we need to stop using these antiquated views of things. Why, why do we have to teach Shakespearean plays? Why do kids have to take calculus? We need to figure out, we need to backwards plan. Mm -hmm. That's what I do all my work, backwards plan. Look at the human beings that we want to create and enter into our mm -hmm. workforces and our world, and then plan backwards on the skills and information that they need to have to do it. I like your out-of-the-box thinking. The only thing that scares me um, is taking it out of the hands of government only because that has been historically a recipe for a greater level of unfairness, a greater level of inequity when there is no government agency overseeing what ought to at least be a level playing field, even though they ain't perfect at it either. You put it in the hands, you put the entire education system in the hands of private people, you end up like prisons or anything else in our country. And this whole, this whole notion of privatization just scares me, Colette. I ain't gonna lie about that. And I wouldn't advocate for the entirety, yeah. but for the day-to-day -day running, right. I need government out of the mix. Okay. Um, and, and it's really important that we stop telling kids what they have to be and start to, to deal with the fact that we as human beings learn through passion and get at what these kids are passionate about and teach them the skills and the knowledge they need through their passion. And on that, we wholeheartedly agree on that. We say amen. When we come for our remaining moments, we got, we've already blown it up, so we'll let Kimberly tell us what <laughs> she's going to build in its place and let Brandon tell us what he's going to put in its place in our remaining moments talking about edu uh, American Education Week right now on Tavis Smiling. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Rank number 45 on the heavy 100 list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. This Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. I got about four minutes left in this conversation, which I've enjoyed immensely. Could do for another few hours if I had the time. I do not. Brandon, I'll give you a minute and a half here. Uh, we are, we already blew it up. What you going to replace it with, Brandon? I think we've got to replace it with, uh, you know, approaches that center our young people, again, as, as brilliant learners. And, and honestly, um, as someone with a background in educational policy and data, I'm, I'm still loath to... Uh, reference achievement gaps as well. Those gaps typically show up, and, and I know you said they're right as rain, but they, they typically are real as rain. So they, they show up, you know, quarterly when the mail comes. Mm -hmm. um, but then day to day, right, do you find yourself saying, man, I just wish my son was more like that white boy over there? You don't. 
right? <laughs> mm-hmm. you, 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 you talk about, you hear people talking about their views on the world. You see people doing math every single day. We talk about technology. Yes, literacy is critical. That's why we're teaching it. You see people reading all the time. And what we can do is center our young people on our own experiences, right? And, and, and target, I think, to Colette's point, you know, the metrics, right? The thing that you can privatize is targeting what should be learned, right? So if I'm not absorbing Shakespeare as well for whatever reason, and then I'm doing it at a 12% lower clip than, you know, the next person, now I'm part of a gap. But yeah. that's because we centered the whole conversation and framed it in, as a function of someone else's values oftentimes, right? Yep. Someone else's uh, game that was rigged from the jump. So let's actually recenter what how we measure learning and what we actually want to learn and appreciate. We, we and make sure we still get to the fundamentals. We can do both and right. We we are, we are yeah not either or but both and. We we are laughing here in studio. Colette and and uh, Kimberly and I are laughing because I was just saying to them during that commercial break what you just said, having not heard us unless unless you're eavesdropping. I don't know how you did that, <laughs> but I was I just saying, I, I, yeah, <laughs> you stay tapped in. I am mad at you. I was just saying, and I'll give Kimberly the last word here. I was just saying the older I get, the more, I, the more I wrestle with this. I think it is difficult to put an Afrocentric anything in a Eurocentric anything and have it work. It's just difficult to put any sort of Afrocentric experience. I don't care whether it's arts, entertainment, education, anything, putting an Afrocentric experience, learning experience or whatever in a Eurocentric frame, it's just problematic. I digress. Two minutes left. The last word goes to you, Kimberly. We blown it up. What you gonna what you, you what you gonna what you gonna rebuild? Um, I'm gonna go back to a point that Brother Brandon uh, brought up uh, earlier. The fact that we have uh, the ability as a community to work through this and to lift ourselves up and to elevate ourselves. Um, at the University of San Diego, we initiated a program called the Black In Genius Initiative, and it is funded from the Black Community Investment Fund. So Mm. these are black folks who saw the disproportionality in the way that our children were being treated in their local public schools. And they put their own money up. And they put their own money up. Wow. Uh, And it came through the San Diego Foundation, and we sat together and developed this uh, ingenious initiative where the students are are experiencing STEAM on our campus. They're going into uh, uh, different, uh, you know, opportunities for learning about different STEM um, jobs. Uh, We are recruiting black college kids to come and be pod leaders. So it not only impacts the K-12 students, but it also impacts college students and help retain them. We also work with their parents to let them know what college is about, what are the things that they need to do in order for their student to actually get there. And then we go into the community and we work with the teachers, going back to your point about this institutionalized racism. Mm -hmm. We don't want to disconnect between what we're doing with their kids on our campus and what's happening in their schools. So we try to build a bridge to the pedagogy and the curriculum. It I think I think village. it does take a village. I, I was about to say something similar, um, echoing what you've all said. Um, what Kimberly's example now um, shares with us, given what they have done in San Diego, is that we do have agency. That's the bottom line of this conversation uh, in American Education Week, that whatever we want, 
um, we can imagine. James Ingram sang a great song, Whatever We Imagine. We do have agency in this if we imagine it. And I'm shouting out those black folk in San Diego who put their own money up uh, for this ingenious project. It's a great idea. Um, Kimberly A. White-Smith is dean of the School of Leadership and Education Sciences, Souls, at the University of San Diego. Uh, Dr. Brandon Nicholson is the chief executive officer of Hidden Genius Project. Uh, and Colette Bowers-Zinn, J.D.M.E.D., is the founding executive director of AXIS, a nonprofit organization that guides and supports students and families of color throughout the admissions process of private schools in the greater L.A. area. Brandon Kimberly, Colette, thank you for your work and witness. I love you all. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Great thank you conversation. Continue your work. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.